I'd like to invite your attention this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10 today. Matthew chapter 10. And I'd like us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning, and in particularly we'll focus on one text verse, but it's actually within the framework of these verses. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to his own disciples. And we begin reading in verse 28. We'll read down to verse 31. And our focal point this morning will actually be in verse 30 of Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Let's hear God's word this morning. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning for your favor and grace and blessing on the word. I pray for your cleansing and your empowerment, for the Spirit's illumination and quickening power and the hearts and souls on those who receive the word in good soil. Bless now, we pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you would agree with me this morning that the Bible is filled with memorable and repeatable verses. Perhaps verses you heard your parents quote when you were a child. Or maybe a verse that was spoken of by even an elected official, the President of the United States, quoting verses from the Bible. And we remember those verses. And it's such as a verse I'd like us to look at this morning, and I hope you won't ever forget it. It's one that is often repeated in some ways in a humorous setting. What is that verse? It's found here in verse 30 where Jesus says, But the very hairs, even the hairs of your head, are all numbered. Now, to me, that's a very interesting verse, first of all, because it's easy to grasp. Everybody has a head, and almost everybody has hair on top of it. But let me also say the verse is very interesting to me because the hair on your head is something that's very important to all of us. Now, it's my privilege to work in a college setting, 2,500 students, 100 majors studying things from chemistry to biology and world history and all of these very important things. But I can tell you this, that the hair that's on top of the head in the morning is far more important in the way it looks than all the the subjects you can study about the most important things in the world. The hair on our head is very important. So it's interesting to me. But I also find that this verse is very interesting to me because it arouses my curiosity. When the Bible says that God has numbered all the hairs on your head, what's the first question that comes to your mind? How many hairs are on top of your head? And of course, when you have a really important question and you need a quick answer, where do you go for for the source of all knowledge? You go to Google. 
And sure enough, if you write Google and ask them how many hairs on top of the head, they're going to tell you. And it's somewhere between 100 and 150,000 hairs on the top of every person's head. But there's another question that I have to ask, and that is, who cares? And yet, obviously, God cares. So much so that he's numbered the hairs on everybody's head. And the curiosity is, well, what does that mean? What is it that God is trying to convey to all of us about his omniscience, his all-knowing wisdom of each one of us? And there's one other thing about this verse that's very interesting to me. And that is that when Jesus uses this very simple illustration, these number of the very hairs of our head, he's actually using an ancient form of logic. And it's a logic that you all understand because we use it, but we don't know all the technical terms, but it practically we do it. The term is, it's a form of logic called a fortiori. And simply put, a fortiori means to argue from the lesser to the greater or from the greater to the lesser. It's a form of leverage. I'm trying to make a point. So, for example, in Romans 8 and verse 32, the Apostle Paul says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with with him freely give us all things? In other words... If God has given us the greatest gift, obviously he'll give to us lesser gifts. And so it's a form of logic, of leveraging our mind to trust in God. So here's what the Lord is saying to us. If God cares so much about you that he's numbered the hairs of your head, what about the rest of your life? Does God not care And can you not trust him? And how do I know that's the point of his logic? Because in verse 28 and verse 31, he addresses probably the number one problem we're facing in the United States of America today. And you know what it is? It's the 95% of college students today struggle with this. Today, we use the terminology mental health. What do we mean by that? We mean things like fear and anxiety and worry and depression, all the internal mental and emotional struggles of life. And Jesus summarized it in one word. What is the word? It's the word fear. And he says in verse 28, don't fear those who kill the body, but fear the one who has the power to cast body and soul into hell. And then he goes into the value of a sparrow. It's a very inexpensive bird, and God knows when it falls. And then he says, the numbers, the hairs of your head. And what's the conclusion? What's the application? I'm giving you the application before I even preach the sermon. He tells us here in verse 31, fear not, therefore. That is the way that we learn to overcome the mental, emotional struggles of life. 
fear, worry, anxiety, depression has to do with the way that we think. And he's saying here that I'm trying to help you understand so that you will think and rely on the truth of who I am. He says, I have numbered the very hairs that are on top of your head. So what is he trying to say? What's the, what's the conveying that he's saying about, we, we know the application is don't worry. So what is he saying about himself to us? And this morning I'd like to share a few of those thoughts that I think God is conveying to us, to us as believers about himself. And the first thing, obviously, I think that is clear here that God is conveying to us is that God is in control of things. The very hairs of your head have all been numbered. And when it says have been numbered, it's not talking about something he did today or something he did yesterday. Understand this about God. Everything God does today, he planned in eternity. I'll say that again. Everything that happens today, God planned in eternity. How do I know that? Because God's eternal. You see, you and I have a really hard time understanding eternity, obviously, because we're temporal. We live in time. We have a birth date. We have a death date. We live in between. And that's, that's where we live. You know, I, I tell people, for example, I remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember. I have students look at me think that, like, I'm like 3,000 years old. I'm not that old. But I was born 10 years after the ending of World War II, and so I have no recollection of World War II. It's not even in my mindset. I grew up, for example, I was educated during the 1960s. I get one laughter of a gentleman my age. <laughs> you remember hippies? There were actually things called hippies. Yeah, that's when I grew up. So I lived in this time frame. One of the greatest struggles for somebody at my age at 65 years old is to relate to the mindset of an 18-year-old. Because they live in it, all they know is this. But what about God? God is eternal. That means everything God did today, he did in eternity past, and he will have done it in eternity future and God is eternal. And we, we don't really understand that. And so when God says, I've numbered the very hairs on top of your head, he didn't do it the day you were born. He did it before he created the world. That means God is in control. And God's foresight extends to all of our life, to everything. For example, what is one of the things people struggle with growing up? They struggle with the way they grew up, their family, their parents, what they had, what they didn't have, the kind of education they had, the kind of struggles they faced in their family. And God is never the author of sin, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't control the world. And so one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older in the Lord is I've come to understand God is in control. For example, I was born in a little town in South Georgia in 1955. My grandfather, Dr. A.B. Jones, delivered me into this world. My mother and father were married on November 27, 1954. I was born on November 27, 1955. I grew up in the South. I'm Southern bred. I'm Southern fed. When I die, I'm going to be Southern dead. I'm a Southerner. That's who I am. I was, I was born in South Georgia. I was raised in South Carolina. 
And I often wonder, why did I grow up in this family? And my tendency is to look at what I didn't get. Or to look at things that I wish I had experienced that I didn't. But now that I look back over my life, I realize God's in control of everything. I don't understand that. I don't comprehend that. But I know that it's true because God has numbered the very hairs on top of my head. There's no, nothing so little as to be beneath God's notice in your life. And there's nothing so great as to be beyond God's control. Everything that takes place in my life is within the purpose and the plan of God, even the numberings of the hairs on your head. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose for whom the Lord did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything that is happening in my life has an ultimate goal, purpose, and end, and that is that I would become like his son, Jesus Christ. So let's put it back in practical terms. If your hair turns gray or if your hair turns loose, It's under the providential care of an all-wise and all-kind father. Now, if that's true of your hair, what about the things in your life that really matter to you? Heartaches and heartbreaks. Difficulties. Things that you have to deal with on an emotional basis on on every day. When I think of the heartbreak and the heartache of a man in the Old Testament named Job... And how he responded. One of the things that we know that he did, even though he struggled, is he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And even with that, he struggled. Sixteen times he asked God why, and sixteen times heaven was silent. And finally, when God spoke, he said, where were you when I created the world? And Job had to learn to do something that's really hard. And that is, he had to trust that God is in control of all things. And it was in that step of faith that he began to understand wisdom and he began to experience peace. God, you are all wise. You make no mistakes. I do not understand it all. But when I cannot rise up to understand, I can always bow down to worship. And when he worshiped before God in who God is and who he claimed to be, God brought peace in his heart. And so if your way is rough or smooth, if your way is bitter or sweet, if you get what you want and you don't get what you want, in either case, you can always rest in the Lord because he's numbered the hairs of your head. He is in control. But then there's something else I think that being conveyed here. And that is not only is God in control, But God is deeply intimate with all of us. What does it say? The very hairs of your your head have all been numbered. Well, what does that tell me? It tells me obviously God cares more about you than you care about yourself because you've never numbered the hairs of your head. And it it means that God knows you better than anybody else because who in your life has ever numbered the hairs of your head. In 41 years of marriage, my wife has never said, can I number the hairs of your head? I've never had a friend say that. I've never had a doctor ask me that. And yet God knows that about you. That's called 
intimacy. Have you ever, have you ever wished somebody just understood you? I mean, think about it. How many times do we go to the doctor when we're sick and we don't know what's wrong with us so that the doctor will figure it out and do something about it? How many people go to a therapist? And I'm not criticizing it. It's just a point. Why do we go to the therapist? Because we have something inside of us that we can't quite figure out what's wrong with me and how do I deal with this? Everybody here wants somebody to completely understand you. Even in marriage, as long as you live together, you still don't fully understand each other. I know, my wife lets me know regularly. And yet, God knows you so well that he knows things about you you can't even discover about yourself. Fact of the matter is, all sanctification of a believer is based on God's understanding you because he knows where you are and he knows where you need to get and he knows what it takes to get you there. And most of us, most of the time, when God is working in our life, we still don't know exactly what's going on and we have to trust him and we have to pray to him for wisdom. God knows everything about you. And if, that, and if that's true of his knowledge, what about his love? Because it's just not God's omniscience, it's also God's love. Because in all of that knowledge, you may know things about people and not love them, but God knows everything about you and he loves you completely. God's love for you is deeply intimate. So when you are lonely, God will never leave you nor forsake you. When you are going through burdens, you can cast your care on him. Because he cares for you. And this care is not just throughout stages of your life or part of your life. It is throughout all of your life. How do we know that? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's numbered the hairs of your head yesterday. He's numbering them today. And he's numbering them tomorrow. So if God knows me so well that he's counted the minute hairs of my head, should I not give God everything and trust him? It's like the woman who came to Jesus to wash his feet. She bathed his feet with her tears and she dried his feet with her hair as a complete abandonment of herself to trust in Jesus Christ. God wants us to trust him because he knows us so well. But then let me say something else I think this is conveying. And that is, not only does it convey intimacy and God's control, but number three, I think it really conveys, if I could say it this way, value or significance. Think of it this way. He's speaking to his own disciples. He says, God's numbered the hairs of your head. Now, we know the disciples were important to Jesus. They were precious to him. But what were these men like? They weren't mighty men. They were not noble men. They were not wise men. They were not wealthy men. They were not educated men. And yet they were so significant to the Lord that he said he's numbered the very hairs of your head. Think of the value that Jesus has placed on every believer. For example, uh, if you own 40 acres of land and you were going to sell the land, would you number all the trees on the land? Would you go about and count them all? Maybe. 
We used to own a piece of property up in northeastern Wisconsin when I was working up there in a Christian camp. And man, it was beautiful. Hundreds of trees, but I have no idea how many. I never counted them when I sold the land. And I surely didn't count the leaves and I surely didn't count the branches. They weren't that valuable. But let me ask you a question. If you owned a jewelry store and you were going to sell it with all the jewels in it, would you number every jewel? Every ring, every sapphire, every ruby, every earring, every necklace, every gold piece, every silver piece. Why? Because every single jewel and that store is of incredible value. Now think with me. If the Lord has numbered the hairs of your head... He's registered them and he's counted them that worthy. What about the rest of you? What about, for example, your soul? And that's why Jesus said, don't fear him that can destroy the body, but fear him that can cast both soul and body in hell. Why? Because of the value that God has placed upon your soul, your eternal soul, that very part of you that when you die, and if you've ever watched anybody die, you know that when they're gone, they're gone. And there's the body and that person that you knew and that you loved. You know that they have departed. What did Jesus Christ come into the world to do? He came into the world to save your soul. And thank God in that salvation is also your body. Because he resurrects your body. And how valuable does God, what value does God place on your soul? The value is based upon what he paid for that. And the value of your soul is that he sent his son to live the life we should have lived and died, the death we should have died. And he went to a cross and he suffered, bled, and died to pay for your redemption, to pay for your salvation, to put it simple, to pay for your sins. And not only does God forgive you, but he gives to you a credit to your account and that's his perfect life. And the reason why we get into heaven is not just because we're forgiven, but because we're righteous. And God saves our souls so that we could have the gift of everlasting life. So think about it, friend, the value that God has placed upon you. And not only in the salvation of your life, but if I could say it this way, the restoration and the rescue of your life for something that is valuable and meaningful, that we can, we can find in our life not purpose in in not just doing things with purpose but God has look if he's numbered the hairs of your head he's got a plan for your life and he's got something he wants you to accomplish and you can fulfill his will and honor him and glorify him in this life when I was growing up uh, I grew up with a friend of mine in South Carolina where he and I his name was Jim Jim and I grew up and we went to elementary school together Then we went to high school together. And in high school, we were best buddies. We both played on the high school football team and we actually played the same position. We played on the high school soccer team. He was a year older than me and he graduated from high school and he went to the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. The next year I graduated from high school and I went to the Citadel. 
Not only did we both go to the Citadel, but we were in the exact same company. We were in D Company. And not only that, but we were in the exact same major. We were both business majors. So if I could put it real simple, Jim and I were really close friends. The difference was this. My freshman year in college, I became a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I came to understand the gospel. God worked in my heart. In Easter Sunday, 1975, I received Jesus as my Savior. But Jim did not. In his senior year, my junior year, I took him out to eat at a restaurant one evening and I spent an hour and a half with him going over the gospel plan of salvation, God's way of eternal life. And then, of course, I asked him, did he want to get saved? And he said, I, he said I'm not ready yet. And I said, okay. And so I prayed for him. He graduated in 1977. I graduated in 1978. Jim, being a business major, went into the banking world and he was working in a bank uh, in Washington, D.C., four years later at the age of 26 years old. And he went to a church service on a Sunday evening and he heard a, psalm from, he heard a sermon from the 30th Psalm and Jim that evening received Jesus as his Savior. He writes me and tells me about his conversion. And of course, I'm thrilled rejoicing with him. But here's the rest of the story. Jim got involved in missions work. He was going to a Bible college in South Carolina down in Columbia, working on a master's degree for missions. And he had been praying that God would give him an opportunity to go overseas and serve in a country called Somalia. Have you ever heard of Somalia? He prayed specifically for that. He had been involved in some mission work already. And he got a phone call while he was in grad school by a fellow named Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham had a ministry called Samaritan's Purse. How many of you have heard of Samaritan's Purse? All right, most of you. He said, we have been, he said, I'm calling you because I've heard about you and I'm looking for somebody to go with Samaritan's Purse to the country of Somalia. Would you go? And he said, yes, I would. So he went there, Mogadishu. He was there during what we call Black Hawk Down, if you remember that movie that came out. He then, about a year later, ended up going to Rwanda back during a civil war that they had, working through Samaritan's Purse. And then he comes back to the United States about 1993. And he comes back and Franklin Graham says to him, Jim, he said, we have a new ministry we started that I'd like you to consider taking over. It was a year old. He says, here's what we do. We send shoeboxes around the world to children with Christmas gifts. And then we send an evangelist, a preacher of the gospel, to go and preach the gospel, not just one time, but go through 12 weeks of studies to understand the gospel and lead children to Jesus Christ. He said, would you mind considering taking over that ministry? And in 1994, my good friend Jim Harrelson took over what is called Operation Christmas Child. And they started out with 11,000 boxes the first year. And this last year during COVID, they shipped out 9.2 million boxes. That means they witnessed to 9.2 million children. They were in 38 unreached people groups around the world so that churches can be started. And in June, I spent a day with my good buddy at his office up in Boone, North Carolina, telling me this story. And here's the deal. I was probably the only person in that building who really knew him. 
We know things about each other. We're not going to tell anybody. But here was a guy who was living a life really without much purpose, who was redeemed. But not only was he saved, but the value of his life has increased exponentially in the kingdom of God work. That's the kind of God who values you. You're not just important to him, but he also will make you important in the lives of other people. Who doesn't want to live that kind of a life? He's numbered the very hairs of your head. And one final thing, and I'll finish with this very quickly. And that is, I think this verse is not only teaching value and the idea of control and the the idea of significance and intimacy, but I think it's definitely teaching the understanding of preservation. That is this, that God uses the hairs of our head to convey that God preserves his own people. And I'll let you do your own Bible study and look it up. I'll, I'll give you one biblical illustration that many of you recognize. That God preserves his own people and he illustrates that through the hairs of your head. And it's a story found in the third chapter of Daniel where the Bible speaks about three Hebrew children. Their names were Shadrach. Ah, you know your Bibles. Three Hebrew children who were living in the land of Babylon in slavery and exile. And the king built a great idol, a statue, and commanded that all people bow down and worship at the playing of the music, the worship time. And when the music played, everybody fell on their face in humility and obeisance to the God, the idol, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not bow the knee. And the penalty for their disobedience to the king was to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And if you know the story, they're thrown into a fiery furnace and yet the people see them as they're thrown in. And then they notice a couple of things. Number one, they're walking around. And number two, they notice that there's not three, but there's four in the fire. There was a fourth figure that appeared in their suffering. And I believe it was an incarnate form of Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, excuse me, before he came to this earth. And of course, they survived the fire, and when they came out, the Bible tells us something very interesting. By the way, if your body has ever touched fire, what's the first thing that burns? The hair on your body. And listen to what Daniel 3.27 says, And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies The fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. That's just not, that's not one time in the Bible. It's repeatedly used to teach us a lesson that God preserves his own. You may pass through the fire. You may pass through calamities. You may go through diseases. You may go through wars and persecutions, but not a hair of your head will perish. Even if your body suffers, your soul, your inner life is preserved. Christ knows who he has bought 
and he will have that which he has purchased even to the last hair. You are insured of your preservation through the power of Christ. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. You may go through all the storms of life, but the Lord is with you in the storm. He's not bailing ship. He is with you. And so if you suffer, even in the end, it will be for your good. He said, fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Since God has numbered all the hairs of your head, then what can you do? You can trust him. How wonderful it is. Think about it. To know that God cares for his own. He preserves you. He values you. He knows you. And he's in control. And let me say by contrast, and as your pastor has already said, how awful it is and sad it is to live life and then to live it lost. There's no friend like Jesus Christ. He is the friend to all sinners. And if you have never been saved, God invites you. God invites you, my friend, to become his friend through his son. And God invites you today, the one who's numbered the hairs of your head, he invites you to come and put your faith and trust in him. And in him, you have the, the, the hope, the preservation of eternal life. God will take care of his own. What a God that we have that we can trust in.